0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of To the Point podcast. We made it to a Friday here, fifth uh, of March. Um, a, w- a wild day in the world of sports. Um, you know, I go to bed last night, and obviously, I uh, just heard a, co- a couple of big news items, and I wake up to you know a bombshell in Calgary, which I'll get to uh, thoroughly, and I have my opinion on it. And um, but. You know, a couple big games last night, including, you know, the Winnipeg Jets who continue to use this, you know, Paul Maurice being smarter than the opposition when it comes to, um, using his players in overtime, which I'll touch on, um, NFL stories with big Ben Roethlisberger returning to the Pittsburgh Steelers for first 18th season. Um, you know, him, uh, cutting money off the salary cap so he can help the team be as competitive as it can be. Um, we'll get to that, uh golf and also today uh the Tim Hortons Brier is going to kick off this evening um so a lot of a lot of good a lot of stuff happening in the world of sports but I thought I'd start the podcast today talking about the passing of Walter Gretzky or otherwise known as you know the hockey dad um I was three or four years old I'm trying to I think I was four and I was at a Tampa Bay Lightning and Toronto Maple Leaf game It was the first NHL game I've ever been to um And oddly enough, at the rink, um, either my mom or my dad spotted Walter Gretzky. And, you know, I didn't really know who he was at the time. You know, I was three or four, still trying to figure it out. Um, You know, I, I really started watching hockey when I was two years old. I was kind of reminiscing about this with my mother yesterday. I would stand in front of the television and kind of do this weird jump, which I still kind of do sometimes. And it... I I just I've loved the sport since you know infancy and you know that day I believe he might have even picked me up in his arms or something it was a picture where my mother has the picture but I think he might have picked up me and my sister because she she was two at the time and you know it's something that I'll have forever Um, knowing what I know now and Walter Gretzky and you know you think of great hockey fathers and you know are great just sports dads and some of them maybe they weren't that great I think of Earl Woods I think Earl Woods was a good father but the way he pushed Tiger and you know he he did some things that maybe you don't do to your to your kid when they're that young but it's So you can go either way on that one. You got uh, Richard Williams, who's the father of Serena and Venus. You know, he's got his bugaboos. um, He's got his warts when it comes to being a parent and how he approached getting, you know, his, his daughters um, into, into tennis and, you know, ultimately being two of the, two of the best ever. You know, we didn't really hear bad things about Walter Gretzky. Um, He obviously had a hockey background but, you know, he's the father to the great one, the greatest player in the history of the sport. And yeah, I I mean, I encourage everybody to read his book, Hockey Dad. Uh, It was, it's really interesting. Um, And the way Wayne talks about his dad and how, you know, Walter was kind of, he knew the game so well, but he didn't, he didn't care how, how, um, Wayne went about it you know I think he obviously loved so much that his son had so much success and that he ultimately became the greatest ever but like Wayne he was so humble um you know he met me he met my parents we're nobody's from Rexton New Brunswick he took the time out of his day to take a picture with us that just tells you who he is um there's some people you're going to meet they're going to tell you to to piss off Walter didn't do that and Um, he'll be missed forever. Um, but we can all remember him fondly for, you know, obviously being the father of the great one, but just being a great ambassador for the sport, um, approaching it the right way. And I think we can look at athletes. We can look at parents and say, you know, we see the alpha dog competitors where, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing their kids. To, to play every game that they can or you know you can only focus on one sport or you got to do it this way you got to be hyper competitive and I'm not saying that Wayne wasn't that but I think Walter gave him that that approach where if hockey doesn't work out it's okay you know if, if it if it's not for you you know what that's fine you'll, you'll find another path in life and I just think it's a um, you know, I'm I'm not a parent. I don't, I don't don't ever want to be a parent. So I'm not uh, preaching to the choir here. I just think it's a, it's a different approach that we don't see all the time. And, you know, clearly it worked for Wayne and the way he was programmed because we see the way he handles himself talking about today's athletes like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. You know, Wayne doesn't like hearing that he's the best ever. And I think that that starts from his, from his dad, because he, he, probably instilled in him. You're no better than, you know, Joe, who, you know, uh, who, uh, cuts, cuts, uh, cuts plywood at a uh, home Depot. You're, you're no better than a Tim Hortons worker. It's just, we're all just people. And I think we can take a lot from, from Walter in that we just be nicer people. And he, he was a great, great man. And like I said, he'll be missed forever. And, um, you know, obviously he was 82. He was dealing with Parkinson's and some other um, medical issues um, that Wayne talked about last night um, in his Instagram and Twitter posts. But obviously it's great that he's he's not sick and suffering anymore, but the hockey world will miss him. You know, ranks will miss him, but his legacy will live on forever. Um, And uh, that's something that I know, you know, I got to meet him, even if it was a small moment, I can look back and say, You know, I met Walter Gretzky. I met Pat Quinn at the Memorial Cup in uh, Moncton. I met some of these great people that are no longer here, but I can at least say, you know, I I had a small, you know, I was a a tiny little fragment in in their life. And, you know, it obviously means a a little bit more, a little bit more to me, you know, just being uh, a nobody. So, you know, um, thoughts and prayers to uh, the Gretzky family. And, um, you know, hopefully you know, Wayne, Janet, and and the, you know, the children, grandchildren, and uh, everyone can, um, can mourn appropriately. And, um, and yeah, just, just thoughts and prayers and all the best, all the best to the, uh, to one of the greatest family, families in professional sports. Pivoting from, from obviously that's a, a tough topic, but the Flames, Calgary Flames, you know they're playing Ottawa last night. Not a game I had really had circled. I, these teams have played it seems like eight times in the past two weeks, and play again on Sunday. And I was, oh, this, these games where they're playing each other so often, you just get get sick of it. But as uh, so I'm bouncing around. I'm watching the you know, Jets game, the Pittsburgh game, um, which I'll get to. Even Tampa Bay Chicago is a game I really focused on, but. After the game, Calgary gets the win 7-4. Uh, Dylan Dubé gets a hat trick. We see Sam Bennett, who's a healthy scratch, which I'll touch on. But, you know, uh, big win. Big win for um, for Calgary. Ryan Dezingle scores in his first game back after a 14-day quarantine for Ottawa. So for, so good for him. But, you know, it's a routine win. It's a game Calgary had to have. It's like Montreal the other night on Tuesday. Ottawa's playing better hockey, but they're still the worst team in the division and you need to beat the worst team in the division point blank. There's no moral victory for getting one point against Ottawa. I don't care, you know, uh, if how, how good, you know, they're a young team and yes, they're, they're improving, but they're still the worst team. You got to beat them. So I'm not giving you a round of applause for that. So they beat Ottawa. You yeah, know that's fine. And I've, I've, I talked about it last week, how I think Brad tree living should should be fired quite frankly. Um, He's, he's fired Hartley. He's fired, you know, Bill Peters was a messy situation. Um, Obviously if you remember last year, it was about November, uh, November of 20, trying to remember the years now, 2019. Yeah. 2019. Um, And you know, it was a key came out and said, when Bill Peters was coaching him um, in his younger days, he had used the N-word multiple times. Uh, he had said derogatory things to him and he was, you know, promptly fired uh, and thrown out, of, thrown out of the NHL, which was obviously the correct decision. Uh, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no point to let, there, you can't do that in any walk of life, in my opinion, especially that word, that's not appropriate ever. And so the NHL gets rid of Bill Peters. He's gone. To, so he gets a job in the KHL. Go figure, where you know they don't really care about uh, your past transgressions, but that's fine. Jeff Ward, the assistant coach, steps in. He does a pretty decent job. Then we go through the pandemic. They get to the bubble. They beat Winnipeg, then lose in the first round of the playoffs. So you know, not a not a great run for Calgary. Um, but they start the year and they've been a tire fire. We talk about Calgary. Vancouver, Montreal has really hit the skids here. Edmonton was playing great hockey till they meet Toronto. I know they've kind of fallen back into the pack. Um, and last night they get the win, but after the game, Calgary fires Jeff Ward. Um, and before I, I get into his replacement and what they did, you know, Calgary to let tree living fire Ward after he's been there basically a year as the head coach. I don't like it because why is tree living keep getting a pass where he gets to fire coaches? You know, if this flames team misses the playoffs and you go through a trade deadline where you got tree living calling the shots and he's going to get fired at the end of the year, why is he still there? Again, I don't want anybody to be unemployed, but Jeff Ward's unemployed today. And he's been there a year and you got tree living Who's been with this nucleus of Gaudreau, Monahan, Giordano, who he had Brody, who he let walk. You've had this group forever and you're letting your general manager, you know, the, uh, the architect of the team continue to be there when you have no playoff success. I mean, you could correlate Calgary to the Toronto Maple Leafs of the Western conference. They're a team that have had had the same group for, for a period of time here and they don't win anything. They don't win playoff rounds. You know, they beat Winnipeg last year because Mike, Mark Shifley got hurt point blank. They weren't beating Winnipeg in that series. Mark Shifley goes down. If you've seen Mark Shifley this year, he's emerging as MVP candidate, which I'll get to. Uh, but it's it's just – so they fire Jeff Ward. They replace him with Daryl Sutter, and this is interesting. You know, Daryl Sutter has been out of the game of hockey since 2017 as a head coach. He's, this is his second, um, a, uh, second to trip around the sun with, with the Flames. He coached from 2002 to 2006 – uh, obviously making it to the Stanley Cup final in 2004, one win away from winning the, uh, the Cup final, losing to Tampa Bay. And then so he gets fired in 06, takes five years off from coaching, returns to coaching in LA in 2011, wins two Stanley Cups in 2012 and 2014, and is promptly fired in 2017, and he hasn't coached since. So he's used to having a long layoff. So this is not new for him. Again, you know, a five-year break, and then you have a, you know, a close to a four, four and a half-year break for for Daryl, um, from 2017 until until uh, the present day. You know, he's he's been the three Stanley Cup Finals. He's a great coach. Um, he's an old-school coach, which is interesting that Calgary's bringing him back. It tells me that they feel they need that accountability. Daryl Sutter is known. He's a Sutter. These coaches aren't going to let you get away with being soft, being aloof, not being engaged in the play and things of that nature. So Daryl's going to get in there and set a precedent for the entire team, Monahan, Goudreau, how you run your practices, uh, just defensive structure. Um, this, the firing of Ward, I think it does a lot for Sam Bennett because I think Sam Bennett was a healthy scratch last night. And maybe that could have been a big reason. I think Sam Bennett's going to play regularly, regular shift and get a good opportunity under Daryl Sutter. Again, I haven't seen him coach a game yet for Calgary, but Sam Bennett just seems like, um, you know, Daryl Sutter's type player in LA. um, He loved his, you know, a guy like Dwight King, Dwight King is a, not a household name. He's not even half as skilled as Sam Bennett, but he had that similar body. He liked to crash and bang and he would play every night. You know, Jordan Nolan's would play in LA, Kyle Clifford's. um, And these guys aren't as skilled, but Bennett adds that little bit of versatility to his game where he's not afraid to throw a check. We're seeing in the NHL right now, how many games where there's no life, there's no fight to the game. And I'm not saying literally fighting because fighting does not have to be the center of attention anymore. You don't need the Broad Street bullies. That doesn't have to be the the game, but throw a check, be engaged, like care. And yes, there's no fans, and people can use that as a crux and as an excuse. That's not gonna work for me. I I um you're either engaged or you're not engaged. You know, Matthew Kachak, he's my favorite player in the NHL. He hasn't had that same jump this year that, that we, that we've seen. Um, Bennett is a guy that he he can lead you into the fight too. And he can, he's not going to be a big goal scorer, but he's a guy that you get into the playoffs. A team would love to have a Sam Bennett because again, he plays the playoff style. The teams that win the playoffs play heavy. They hit, they make it tough on you. They turn pucks over That's Sam Bennett's game. And I think Daryl Sutter would love him as I don't, I I would play him at center myself, maybe right wing. If you, if you really want to try him, try him there. But I I see Sam Bennett getting an augmented role with, with Daryl Sutter now joining, joining the fray here, but grand scheme of things, you know, it's an interesting hire. His first game will will be tomorrow against Edmonton, uh, obviously the battle of Alberta. Which you know we've seen a few times this year. It's had no life. Hopefully tomorrow night we get a we get a game where you're actually excited to watch it. I mean, um, watching that Calgary Ottawa game last night, the, the Toronto Vancouver game. There's nothing. The, the Canadian division is number one for having nothing when it comes to wow. I really want to keep watching this game because I'm 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 just so it's so passionate and I I love the seeing you know everything that that comes with it there's nothing there. And um, I, 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 I get it for Calgary, but big picture they've hired Daryl Sutter to a three-year deal the rest of this year, plus two more tree living. If you miss the playoffs, he's got to go. He's got to go. And it's just called fair is fair. How can you fire this many coaches? He's fired Glenn Gullitson, Hartley, Bill Peters, Jeff Ward, that's four coaches under his tenure. And I'm probably missing one. How, I don't know how a general manager can get away with that and still be employed when, if you're you're ownership, you look at the roster from these four coaches, a lot of the same guys are still there. Your nucleus of star players are all still there. And you're looking at it, well, I wonder what the issue here is. I'm, I'm a guy with a podcast and I can tell you what the issue is for your ownership. What the hell are you doing? Like running your head into a wall saying, okay, we our depth guys. Aren't working for us. No, your star players haven't been producing for a period of time and you're doing nothing about it, but you have a general manager who continues to keep the guys and say, well, we're just going to get more pieces. That's going to help our stars. Well, your stars aren't stars anymore. Sean Monahan was a star. He was a 30-goal scorer. He looked like a great player. He had eight surgeries in one offseason. Eight a couple years ago. You're telling me you're going to be the same player? He hasn't been. I watch the games. He's not the same guy. Johnny Hockey, he isn't as good as he was when he came out of college. He's older. He's not as quick as he used to be. I think there's games, quite frankly, where you can compare Goodrow to, to Bill Nylander, who gets carved in Toronto for being a little bit aloof, not being as engaged as, as fans want him to be. His defensive, his defensive, he's a defensive liability. And again, when, when he doesn't score, what, what, what do you do? You don't play defense. You don't back check. You're basically a garden gnome. And I, I wish Daryl Sutter a, a ton of luck because I, I love him. You know, I like that he's back in the game. I love him. Tortorella on the mic I think there's a bunch of coaches that are just bland and boring and again I think Sutter Tortorella I like the snarky one word answers when they get asked a question because it reminds me of myself because that's it's not it's somewhat arrogant but it's also just being be having a personality and I like to think that I have a personality um and it's I, again, I wish Daryl the best of luck. Obviously he loves Calgary. The, the way Pierre LeBron described it, he's, he lives in Alberta. So I don't believe he's going to have to quarantine. Um, he'll, he'll be able to come in and, and, you know, I think if he passes the COVID test, he should be uh ship shape, but um, expect to see him behind the bench Saturday night when, when they play Edmonton and they play Ottawa on Sunday. So he's got uh, a two pack of games this weekend to, to get his new team, off the uh, off off the ground, um. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens w- with Daryl Sutter and, and uh, Calgary, but the trade deadline is on April twelfth. Um, I don't. It's gonna be really tough to pull off deals with the hard cap and with the whole um, quarantine issue. I mean, we saw it in Ed, in Ottawa with Dzingel. He had to quarantine for fourteen days after being traded from Carolina. Pierre Luc Dubois had to quarantine for fourteen days. It's a bitch if you're trading with teams from the States and I don't see a lot of trades happening, you know, inner division, unless, you know, you're, you're completely falling off. Um, So, but you know, Daryl said, they make that move. Uh, Calgary gets Daryl Sutter back behind the bench, but I I have said this two, three times. So maybe I'm just an idiot and the flames, I think the flames brass is stupid, but this is, this has got to be trees last bullet um you I don't know how you go through you come back next year with Daryl Sutter and you got tree living as your general manager and you let him tear it down after he's built it's like he's have he, he built the great wall of China but he forgot to put in a foundation and it's all calling you know it's crumbling down here uh and you're gonna let him rebuild it after he screwed it up no at least I wouldn't but um maybe that's the uh the capitalist in me um uh not letting him do that um jets montreal um this is the third matchup for these teams in the past week uh, they played twice thursday and saturday last week jets getting the best of montreal both times including saturday night and overtime and you know saturday night montreal played winnipeg but um it, it became irrelevant because they get to overtime and, you know, Montreal starts overtime with Philip Dunneau at center. And, you know, Philip Dunneau has one goal in his last 51 games in the NHL. And I don't know why he's on the ice to start overtime Saturday night, but you get him on there with Shifley and Wheeler, 36 seconds, the game's over. Bob's your uncle. Um, Winnipeg, gets the win. Last night's another game where, you know, Winnipeg starts off great They get a two, 0 lead, you know, Montreal chips away. Um, last night, it might've been the best game. I've seen Jonathan Drouin play as a Montreal Canadian. He was flying around the ice, gets two primary assists, including on the tying goal by Corey Prairie. He, he looked fantastic, looked really engaged. Um, the player that Montreal, you know, wanted to trade for when they, when they dealt him for Sergachev. And, and they all played Winnipeg last night, but, what really, you know, it's clear, and I still like Montreal's team as a team. They're missing game breakers, and Winnipeg has a few of them. You know, the game's three-two; it's flying by. No two whistles in the in the last eight minutes. Uh, sorry, in the last eleven and a half minutes of the game, game's flying by. Corey Perry gets a puck go off his shin pad with a minute and twenty-two seconds left. Montreal ties the game at three. They go into overtime, and Winnipeg. Paul Maurice is a genius. It's he incorporates the three forwards on the ice in in overtime. You look at Winnipeg, who they got at forward, who they can throw at. The, they got Kyle Connor, they got Shifley. they got Wheeler, they got Ealers, they have pierre Dubois. You could throw Mason Appleton, who's I like Appleton a lot. He looks like a player that can bring it night in night out. They have six to seven forwards and they don't need to put a defenseman on the ice. I think there was one shift in overtime was three and a half minutes last night that they had a defenseman on the ice. And that was Morrissey, Morrissey, Morrissey played fantastic last night. One of the best games I've seen him play in a long time, but you know, Jake Allen makes some big stops, stops Kyle Connor on a breakaway. Uh, Blake Wheeler rips one off the crossbar in overtime, but ultimately Pierre-Luc Dubois scores the game winner, beats Montreal, his hometown team. And it's his second OT winner in about a week and a half. And this is the third OT win for Winnipeg in the past week and a half again. And it's the three forward system that they're using. And defensemen are great. But in my philosophy, in overtime, in power plays, defensemen aren't necessary. If you have a great forward group, put five forwards on the power play. You're trying to score a goal is this in peewee? And you know, one thing I will never, if I was ever coaching, and I hate it when I see it, is two defensemen on a power play. What you don't need them, and again, I drive my sister and my dad crazy with this take, but they're just not, you don't need them. If, I, if I'll look at the Winnipeg Jets, they won three overtime games not having a defenseman on the ice, so clearly it's working. You're just going to throw a defenseman out there because it's what conventional wisdom says to do it? Fuck conventional wisdom. You play to win the game. Herm Edwards. That's what they're doing. Montreal throwing Weber and Sherrod out there at the same time. Why? To lose the game? Because that's what they did the past two overtime games they've played against Winnipeg. Um, again, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why, why does Morgan Riley have to be in the power play? He shouldn't be. Matthews. Marner, Tavares, Bill, and throw Hyman in front of the net. That, that's, I have one big power play unit. Having two power play units, having two is not having one. Have one that's great, play them for a minute and a half. The Washington Capitals have done it for generations. So the Pittsburgh Penguins, and their power plays are pretty damn good. Crosby, Melk, and Kessel, when they were going winning cups, they're out there for a minute 40. The Brian Rust in the second unit with Kunitz, they're garbage time that it's over anyway. Again, it's like saying you have two quarterbacks in the NFL. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. If you don't have confidence in one, you say, oh, we have two quarterbacks that we love. No, you don't. You have two below average quarterbacks that you, you're peddling to your fans that are any good. They're not any good. And you know you suck, but you have to lie because you're, too embarrassed to admit that you failed to address the, uh, position. So, you know, Montreal, again, good effort from them last night, but Winnipeg, Winnipeg's good. Win- Winnipeg's the biggest threat to the Toronto A-place. I, I, you know, Toronto's still got a huge lead. I think it's a seven point lead in the division. Winnipeg does have a, a two games in hand on Toronto and they play nine more times. Uh, so that, including a, a few, a three next week. So that'll be interesting games, but Winnipeg just has a nucleus of a team that, that's really strong. The Dubois ad is, is fantastic. Paul Stastny, you know, they, they basically took him from Vegas because Vegas needed to dump salary. He gets two goals last night. He, he looks, he's playing with Shifley. And, you know, on the round table with the boys the other night, I, we talked about most of us had Mark Shifley going into the Olympics Mark Shifley, Mark Shifley is an MVP candidate right now. Uh, he's, you know, this is, might be groundbreaking to some Leafs fans, but he's actually got more points than Matthews and he's got two less points than Marner. He's got 32 points on the year. You got Patrick Kane, he's got 35, McDavid with with uh, with 40. But he, his game is at such a high level right now. It's the best I've ever seen him play. And he's been one of the more underrated players for a long time. I, I think him and him and Huberto are similar in that they're both fantastic players and they don't get the notoriety. And it's surprising with Shifley because he plays in a Canadian market, but maybe because it's Winnipeg and, you know, Toronto has to be on, on the topic of discussion for two minutes, two hours and 45 minutes of a three hour show. You forget about Mark Shifley and you know what he's accomplished. Um, but he's, for me, the MVP right now is Patrick Kane. Still, I mean, they they lose last night to to uh, Tampa Bay, which I went into, but he he he's leading a group of of nobodies into a playoff position right now. If they miss the playoffs, then he's out. I can't award an MVP to a to a team that doesn't make the playoffs. That's just my philosophy. If you're most valuable to your team, you get them to the playoffs. They're in a playoff spot right now, so Patrick Kane's my number one. I'd have Hubert to um, Florida had no expectations before the year. Chris Drieger is their number one goalie with Sergey Bobrovsky still trying to find his game. You know, Seamus made the point the other night, you know, Aaron Ekblad is playing some great hockey at three point night last night and their win over Nashville. Um, he's playing good. You got Vincent Trocheck, who they moved on from, but they still, they, you know, Patrick Hornquist has 10 goals who Pittsburgh threw away. Um, you know, Huberto is producing Mason Marchment, a Toronto cast off gets a goal last night, but Huberto is, is the, is the engine of that team. I think Barkoff is still an elite player, but I think Huberto would be number two for me. And then, uh, you know, after that Shifley, I, I think if you put any of these three guys at number three, I'm fine with Shifley, McDavid or Matthews. Um, You can, Whoever order you want, I, I don't really care. Matthews has missed some games, so maybe you dock him a little bit again. Injuries is part of it. Uh, if you miss if you miss time, you know, I think it does hurt you. I don't think you can win an MVP award and your team's winning without you. Um, you know they they win a bunch of games without Matthews in the lineup. They play Vancouver last night and you know, they lose the game. Is that all on him? No, but it's just another another element to consider. Um, you know McDavid. He has his bugaboos. He scores no points against Toronto. So does that dock him? You know, dry sidle with one point in three games. I think if you look at consistency over the past couple weeks, Shifley has been more consistent than Matthews and, and McDavid. McDavid has had his spurts where he's been really quiet. Matthews has been injured um, and he, you know, he's played twice since coming back, no points. So, um, you know, those, those three would, would be in the third slot for me. And if you're a fan of the team, I'm sure you have your guy at number three, but, um, Shifley is right there and I don't expect him to slow down because, um, I think he'll take the challenge of playing the Toronto Maple Leafs next week. And again, nine times for the end of the year, very seriously. And, and if he has a really good head to head with, with Matthews and Marner, you know, you're playing a team that gets more notoriety than you know almost any team in professional sports. So that can't hurt his case either. So it's interesting to watch as we, as we get down the stretch here when it comes to MVP and, and players that we see emerging as a perennial candidates uh, for the award. Um, another game last night, uh, you know, I get off work. I look at my box score, it's three nothing Pittsburgh first period. And I'm like, Oh God, Philly. You know, I thought Carter hurt was in that first off, but he, he doesn't get the start. He started the other night in a five, two loss. The kid has no confidence right now. So they start Brian Elliott with uh, AKA Moose in the net three, nothing, but you know, Philly starts chipping away. They score a goal at the end of the second period, make it three, one. And then, you know, a really great effort from Claude Giroux, Uh, three points in the third period, including the game winning goal. With two minutes and eight seconds left, and the Penguins gag away a three-nothing lead, losing four-three in regulation to their arch rivals. And this is a huge game. They come into the game tied in the standings with 25 points. Philly gets the win, and it, it's a four-point game because you don't let Pittsburgh get a point. A three-nothing lead in the in uh, three-one lead going into the third period, and you don't get a point if you're Pittsburgh that is so deflating and they get Crosby back off the COVID list. I don't know how he only missed one game. Um, I don't know if it was golden boy and he he can't get COVID. He was activated off the COVID list. He played last night and he let the team throw it away. But, you know, Drew's had a quiet year um, and he came out last night. I think he gets up for these games against Pittsburgh. We've seen that playoff series. I think it was in 2012 where, he was better than Crosby in that playoff series, laid him out a few times. Crosby didn't like it. Drew was better and Philly won the series. And you look at the East division, it's going to be a dogfight because you got Boston, you know, Philly with the win ties, Boston in points. They're now um, in third in the East. Boston sits in fourth. You get Boston, Washington playing again tonight um, after they played Wednesday night when it went to the gimmick. Again, Philly-Pittsburgh play again tomorrow, the third matchup of the week. Um, so that'll be interesting. You, you got, uh, again, the Islanders who continue to, to pick up wins. They beat, um, they crushed the Sabres last night. Um, just goals from all over with Matt Martin, Dobson find the back of the net, uh, Jordan Everly. but they're playing good hockey. And, you know, Washington has been really inconsistent. They haven't had a number one goalie all year. You know, Ovechkin has been sporadic in his goal scoring, but they still find ways to win. And this division is the most compelling to me. It's the best division, and it's going to be a dogfight to win it. And these games, you know, when you play the Devils, when you play the Rangers, when you play Buffalo, you need to win these games point blank. And yet, we see the Islanders took, take advantage of it. Boston hasn't really taken – you know, they played New Jersey this year. They've lost New Jersey three times. They play them again on Sunday. You need to beat New Jersey. You need to beat Buffalo. The, the Rangers Rangers have turned it around a bit, but it's, it's, I can't take it with complete face value because they beat New Jersey. You know, they crushed them 6-1 last night. But you know, how good is – that's not an impressive win. You beat New Jersey who are a bottom of the standing team. So it, a lot to consider for sure here, but um, but um, we'll, we'll see. For Pittsburgh, it's such a deflating loss. Again, it's a one game, but in this division, when you have a 3 nothing lead against a team that's, again, tied with you in the standings, you can't give up that lead. And I look at Crosby, I look at Malkin here, Okay, your your winners, your champions. You can't let that happen. Is it all on them? No, but you're the leader of the team. Lock it down, Crosby. If you're 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 the captain, you're you know a great leader. Don't let don't let them throw away a lead like this. Be assertive on the bench. Don't look at the ref and look for a call last night, which he did a few times. You know, be assertive and lead by example on the bench and just say, guys, we gotta lock it down here. We're beating Philly. Fuck this team. And you know, Drew, Drew just wanted it more last night than Crosby and the Penguins. They got they got a three-nothing lead and they just kind of rested on their laurels that they were gonna win the game. And it got thrown in their face when Philly said, you know what? No, we're we got our ass kicked the other night, five-two. Um, you know, Elliot settled into the game after letting in three in the first period. They didn't pull him; he stayed in the net. He got confident. He, he stayed consistent, and you know Philadelphia ultimately wins the game. But when I see this team, I think Pittsburgh. We I've said all year they can make the playoffs, but it's stuff like this that makes me wonder where do they go long term? What do they do with Malkin, Latang, even Crosby? Does this team have what it takes? They don't have what it takes to win a Stanley cup. No way. Could they be a playoff team? Yes. They play a Washington. I don't think they beat Washington in a playoff series. Um, I don't think they they go far in the playoffs and for a team like Pittsburgh, when you got Crosby Malkin making the playoffs is not an accomplishment and then getting, you know, bowed out early their past few playoffs swept by the Islanders. They lose to Montreal in one of the biggest upsets in the bubble in two straight. So a lot of season left, but in these games where they're basically a playoff game in a regular season and you get a 3 nothing lead, it tells you a lot about the f- just this team in general and how they're built, where they let an arch rival come back and, and steal two points from them. So a disappointing effort from Pittsburgh last night, and we'll see how they – can come back um, tomorrow afternoon against the Flyers. Um, another another big game last night was Tampa Chicago. Again, they play three times in the next four days. Um, Chicago has been the surprise of, of the season. Uh, you know, Patrick Kane, like I said, second in the NHL in scoring. They get guys like Pius Suter and, and Philip Kurushev, Boquist, uh, Evan Mitchell. Just they got eight rookies in their lineup. And they've all been contributing, and they've somehow found ways to win. Um, and last night, they jump out to an early 2-0 lead. They get a shorthanded goal by Ryan Carpenter. Patrick Kane scores his 12th of the season. But Tampa, they just, they're a winning team. They know how to bounce back. They score two goals in the first three and a half minutes of the, of the third period to tie the game. And then with one second left in overtime, Alex Kalorn taps in the game winner. They beat Chicago coming back from 2 nothing down. But was it was it a, a kind of a gag away like like uh, Pittsburgh? Yeah, seemingly yes. But Tampa is so much more talented than Chicago. You know, Pittsburgh and Philly and their comparisons when it comes to talent, it's not as it doesn't range as far as Chicago and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is the defending Stanley Cup champions. Stamkos was playing last night. Braden Point was playing last night. Hedman Vasilevsky was in the net, coming off three straight shutouts. And Chicago gets a point. That's impressive to me. Again, one second left in overtime. If it goes to a gimmick, who knows? They got some really skilled forwards and Khrushchev and Kane. I wouldn't have watched it, but who knows? Maybe they come away with the two points. Um, But Chicago continues to just hang around. They got, again, they got Tampa tonight and then Sunday afternoon. Then they play Florida, I think, twice next week. That's a good litmus test. As you look at this top of this division, you got Tampa Bay and Carolina who are tied in points, then you have Florida who's right there, and Chicago. You know, Columbus who had hit the skids, they've won two in a row, beating Detroit and Dallas. Not impressive wins, but a win's a win for, for this Columbus team. But the biggest thing for Chicago is can they stay consistent the whole year? Patrick Kane, I think, is gonna have to be you know, a wild man all year for this team to make the playoffs. They're going to have to continue to get solid goaltending from Kevin Lincoln and and Malcolm Subban when he does make a start. Um, But to get a point against, if they hadn't played since Sunday, they come play against Tampa Bay and they get a point. I look at that as as really impressive, you know, a shorthanded goal against a, a Tampa Bay power play. Again, it's all context, but the Chicago Blackhawks, They just have something about them. I I think Columbus are going to come back and and make, make this a tight division. Um, You know, I think all year people have said, well, Florida will fall off. They haven't yet. You know, they, they, again, we're seeing Aaron Eckblad play the best hockey of his career, probably since his rookie year. He's got eight goals, um, you know, three points last night in a win against Nashville. He, um, Bobrovsky didn't play great last night, but they outscored their opponent and they get the two points. Again, Huberto, Barkov, Hornquist, they got a team there. Chicago, Duncan Keyes still playing really good hockey. We got Patrick Kane, Khrushchev, Carolina. I mean, Jordan Stahl has eight goals on the year. Jordan Stahl sometimes ends the year with eight goals. He's got eight already this year in Carolina. It's, it's impressive what, what this division is doing With a lot of teams that we said, this is going to be a cakewalk for Tampa Bay to win this division. It's not a cakewalk. It's Carolina, Florida. There are teams that were kind of thrown away. They got a lot of pride and they battle night in, night out. And credit to them for making this division competitive. And I just think Chicago deserves some credit for taking a Tampa Bay Lightning team to overtime. Yes, they blow a lead. That obviously hurts. I think Jeremy Colton would not have the same reaction as me today. He would come into practice or sorry, come into the morning skate for the game tonight and say, we should have won last night. You know, we got, we fell asleep in the first three minutes of the third period, which they did. They turned the puck over. The second goal, really bad turnover inside their own zone. Stamkos fires, beats in. And then they had to overtime, you know, 16 minutes later. But again, you got to look at chicago a little bit different than you would a Pittsburgh, in 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 this 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 juxtaposition of where they are as a franchise chicago had no expectations Pittsburgh's expectations are make the playoffs hopefully we can make a run here even if we are in the toughest division so just something to keep an eye on again they play again tonight and we'll see what chicago can come back with and if tampa bay you know has has a better start i mean the first two two periods they really weren't that engaged and yet they still find a way to get two points in a game where they definitely didn't have their, their a effort. So, um, but interesting division, second toughest division now over the Canadian division. And uh, we'll keep an eye on it, of course, as we go along here. NFL uh, talked about some of the stories yesterday and then uh, it comes out that, you know, big Ben Roethlisberger is coming back for his 18th NFL season. It'll, all 18 have been spent in Pittsburgh, with, with the Steelers, uh, he's two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's, you know, people either really love Big Ben or hate him, um, and I have an appreciation for him. I think he's one of the tougher quarterbacks. You think of the hits he takes, being such a big guy, and to play as many games as he does, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, last year, Pittsburgh starts the year eleven and zero, then. They finished one and five. They lose to their arch rival Cleveland Browns in the playoffs, which was such a disaster of a loss, really embarrassing down 28, nothing by the end of the first quarter, the game was over. And I don't think Ben wanted to go out like that. He clearly thinks he's got more, more left in the tank. He's going to come back for, for his 18th season. But Pittsburgh did have to do some work. Uh, they had to restructure his deal. You know, he was scheduled to have a $41.2 million cap hit this upcoming season, meaning that's $41.2 million that they can't spend on players to improve their roster. They they worked on his deal. It, added, it was cut by over $15 million um, to get him to come back. He did that. He didn't need a big salary to come back. He said that was not the motiv- motivation for him. So they cut that by $15 million. This gives... At Pittsburgh more opportunity to to get free agents, you know, maybe to re-sign Bud Dupree who they had playing under the franchise tag last year. Juju smith schuster is a free agent. Do they want to bring him back? But, you know, Pittsburgh is in, it's, is in a transition here. You know, their starting center, um, Maurice Pouncey retired. He's been, you know, Big Ben's center for the past decade. He's gone. Again, what does Juju do? Um, Mike Tomlin obviously will be back. They still have uh, Chase Claypool, the Canadian from BC at at receiver. What do they do at running back? James Conner, Benny Snell, the running back position needs to be upgraded. I think they probably go to the draft. I mean, that's a cheap option. If you go to free agency with running backs, you're going to spend a lot of money. You can get a second, third round pick at running back and he can come in and make immediate impact in the NFL. So I suspect to address it that way, but do I, I don't see a lot of um, a lot of promise for the Steelers this year? Again, I think the Cleveland Browns are improving. Um, you, they meet the playoffs. They you could know, say they should have beat the Chiefs when uh, Mahomes went down and Chad Henney had to come in and be the hero. You know Baker Mayfield continues to improve. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Cleveland does with, with um, Odell Beckham Jr. He obviously blew his knee out last year. Um, But Cleveland played better when he was not in the lineup. Mayfield spread the ball around. I suspect he'll either be traded or cut. Um, Again, I have no reports to back that up. That's just an opinion. Um, Sometimes number one receivers are great. You know, I think you can look at Terrell Owens. I think him and Tony Romo, they worked well in Dallas. They had that connection. I don't think Baker Mayfield has that with Odell. I think he likes Jarvis. He likes Peoples-Jones. He likes using his tight ends and Austin Hooper and David Njoku going to tailbacks and Kareem Hunt um, and Nick Chubb. Odell Beckham Jr. is the type of guy where if he's not getting 12 to 15 targets a game, you're going to hear about it. He's going to clap his hands. He's going to, after the game, when he gets in front of the podium, he's not going to be okay with it. So I think the best bet for Cleveland is you cut bait with him. If you can trade him, obviously get some assets, draft picks, what have you. But I, I, I wouldn't keep Odell. I think it's better. It sounds counterintuitive, but I think it's better for Cleveland long-term if Odell Beckham Jr. is in a different locale. Maybe he goes to New England. That's been rumored forever. I, I don't know how you do with Bill. I mean, Randy Moss and Bill Belichick worked briefly um, and then it fell apart. And, you know, uh, Bill had to trade Randy Moss for... Four games into the uh, 2008 season, because Randy, his effort was lacking, and you know, buying into the uh, quote-unquote Patriot way. But um, you know, maybe Odell goes there. Uh, maybe uh, Green Bay—that's uh, a team I've we've heard forever. If Green Bay wanted to give Aaron Rodgers the best chance to win a Super Bowl, you get him another great receiver to play alongside Devontae Adams, a two-headed monster. That would certainly be interesting. But for Pittsburgh again, you got Cleveland who, who look good. You still have Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, who was an MVP. They get to the playoffs last year. I like their team. Um, I think they, they need to upgrade the receiver position. I don't see them trading uh, Odell to, to Baltimore, but you know, I think Lamar needs better receivers. Having Hollywood Brown, he's a, he's a very good receiver. He's not a number one, but he's a good little receiver. Willie Sneed, again, Mark Andrews is still a very valuable tight end. They got J.K. Dobbins. They got a a lot of different uh, things working for them. But, um, again, tough, tough team there. And then you look at the rest, Cincinnati, they're they're not going to be an elite team. But they're third in the packing order of that division for sure when it comes to where I see them finishing. They're still third. So unless they make drastic changes – I see big Ben coming back for a swan song season where, you know, I don't, I'm not certain they make the playoffs. You got to play Cleveland twice. You got to play Baltimore twice. Um, And those are tough. It'd be tough to find wins there. Uh, Obviously Cincinnati, you're going to bank on beating them, but you know, maybe Joe Burrow comes back from his torn, you know, ACL, MCL. They finally get an offensive line in Cincinnati. So he's not running for his life every play and, you know, they make some noise. Uh, nobody suspected Justin Herbert and the Chargers to, to look good. Maybe uh, in his sophomore year, Joe Burrow can can make a splash here. But good for Big Ben for, for reducing money. You know, clearly it's not all about money for him. He still loves playing the game. And if he wants to go out on his own terms, I have no problem with that. Again, he's a Hall of Famer. Pittsburgh. I don't think it's the best move for them. I I would have, again, I think they're holding on to him too long. I would have maybe started a rebuild, or you look to address your quarterback situation in the draft or v- via free agency. Um, but um, clearly they think this is the best option for them, uh, even though I disagree uh, with their their long-term plan here. Um, and then I'll finish today talking about golf. Uh, you know, uh, yesterday I didn't get to watch a lot of it, but the Arnold Palmer kicked off um you know not a loaded field as i touched on in yesterday's podcast but we still have some great players and at the top of the leaderboard they didn't fail to tear him out um you got you know rory mcelroy shoots six under uh early in the day he gets he gets at the top of the leaderboard bryson dechambeau shoots five under he was in second victor hovland who finished t2 last weekend um he he finishes th- he's three under for the day so he's right in it but then the second you know, the afternoon group Out comes Canadian Corey Connors. He's six under through his first eight holes, just carving out uh, a great weekend here at the Arnold Palmer at Bay Hill. But it's kind of a disappointment for me. He's six under through eight holes and he finishes the day six under and six under is a great score, but you would like to see him get a lead. He's tied for the lead and he's only up on Bryson DeChambeau by a stroke. Again, Corey Connors does not have the reputation as being a winner. You'd like to see him have a few stroke lead. Rory McIlroy has been playing some really consistent golf. I have more faith that Rory McIlroy is going to have a a better weekend than Corey Connors. And that's no slouch against Corey. It's just reputation. You know, Rory McIlroy has won every major, but Augusta, you know, again, Hovland is really consistent. So as good of a day as it was for Canadian Corey Connors, I'm left with like, Uh, well, you know, what could have been like six under he's going to tee off early today because he played in the afternoon group. I'm interested to see what kind of, what stones he has, you know, what does he have to bring to the table here? Shooting six under is great, but does he let the, his final um, 10 holes really affect him? Uh, How does he react to, I could have been 10 under at a four stroke lead. I'm shooting, I shoot a 62 here today. I'm feeling it. I'm winning this tournament. You start the day. Okay. Rory McElroy's right there with me. Deshambo's right there. Victor Hovland can shoot a 63 in his sleep and I'm, I'm you know, in his rear view mirror. So I think this is going to say a lot about Corey Connors and where he is as a golfer in, in the confidence level. Can he come out and play, you know, you're never going to shoot six under every day, but can he not go over par, which is what I worry about today. He goes two over. I don't think Rory's going to shoot two over today. Even if Rory shoots three under, he's nine under state lead, and you got Corey Connors at minus four. I, I don't think he's making that up on a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you know, he's not playing in the final group, and you know, Rory and these guys play their best golf when you need them to. So I think this is a huge opportunity for Corey Connors to to really show people that he's you know he's here to play, he's a he's a key competitor and, and a guy to, to look out for and kind of assert himself as the best Canadian golfer, uh, you know, in the world. You know, Nick Taylor was the last Canadian to win an event. He won at uh, Pebble Beach last February at the uh, the Pro-Am. Uh, obviously uh, 2020, February, 2020, winning at the Pro-Am. He was the last Canadian golfer to, to win a tournament. Corey Connors, could he do it here at the Honor Palmer? Um, and kind of put himself into that mix. We we don't see a lot of you know, Adam Hadwin's there. Graham Dillette's still recovering from injury. We don't see a lot of Canadian golfers make a huge splash when it comes to winning tournaments or being in contention on the weekend. So, you know, Connors has finished kind of top fifteen in majors uh, at Augusta this past um, November. I believe he finished T twelve. So, a, a good a good week for him. But can he get a win, start gain some momentum, go to the players, have a good week there? Um, we're still yet to see a really an elite Canadian golfer step up. I, I'm sure the Canadian media would say, you know, Corey Connors is the guy that, that's right there. You need to win to really get on the map. And for, for Corey, for, for Nick Taylor, um, being consistent and playing, playing good golf and being in tournaments on Sunday – Is where you where you make a name for yourself and and uh, put yourself into the mix as an an elite player in in the sport. Uh, And I mentioned, you know, last weekend we saw kiri Anderson win the Scotty tournament of Scotty tournament of Hearts. It was her second straight Scotty's win. Um, Congratulations to her. You know, this week it's going to be it's the men's tournament kicking off in in Alberta in in the bubble, and it'll be the. they're going to have the briar. They didn't have it last year. The briar was canceled because of COVID. So, you know, the best curlers in Canada are getting together. It starts tonight. Uh, about it was nine, nine 30 is the first draw. Um, but after a year off of no uh, Tim Hortons briar, it, it'll be nice to see it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a curling fan and I watched a lot of that final uh, again, last Sunday and, you know, seeing, you know, the likes of Kevin Cooey, Brad Gushu, um, Mike McEwen, you know some elite curlers, um, Botcher, uh, Botcher from Alberta. It it's just good to see that curling, which is you know one of Canada's greatest pastimes, get to play in a pandemic here. Uh, it's in a bubble; they're doing it with health and safety protocols, which is which is all great. But it's just good to see these um, these competitors and these athletes get to play their sport. Obviously, curling normally in a normal season you start in October and we see it till. April, May. I mean, it's a long season for for these curlers and have that cut so short this year. I'm just glad they get to play in the biggest event of the year. A lot's on the line. You win the briar, you get to go into Olympic qualifying, which is next season. So a lot to play for, you get to represent your country potentially at the Olympics. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but, um, great, great field. And I think should make for a great Tim Hortons briar you kicking off tonight and all of, uh, all of next week on, uh, on TSN. Uh, great show today. A lot of a hap- lot happening in the world of sports. Um, I'll be back tomorrow morning, talk about, um, the games tonight. We'll talk about UFC 259, which is going to be, um, happening tomorrow night, get into that card and, and some, some of the fights to look out for and, uh, so much more, but, you know, prayers to the Gretzky family. Um, to a great hockey dad. Uh, I know I grew up with one, so I can always appreciate that. But everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk soon.